I'm Amy Pruitt. I'm Lisa Dumas. I teach Ayurveda and yoga. I teach yoga. I'm a yoga therapist in training, and I offer transformational coaching. But that's just part of the story. We're moms, daughters, wives, and friends. We're always learning, and we've both experienced healing by what we teach. And the intention of this podcast is to offer you our favorite tools from the traditions and sciences that support us as we navigate the realities and stressors of modern life. Each week, we'll share stories, answer your questions, and talk to others who inspire us. Welcome to the Radiant Warrior Podcast. Yoga and Ayurveda to reclaim a courageous heart. I'm really excited to share this week's guest with you. She's one of my favorite practitioners. She's an acupuncturist, and she is so gifted and talented at her work. And one of my favorite things about going and seeing this guest is because she has so much to offer, even beyond these wonderful acupuncture sessions. And she has a lot to offer us when it comes to information about taking care of ourselves at this time of year. So we hope you enjoy our conversation with Danielle LeClaire. Thank you so much for being here, Danielle. Oh, thank you so much for having me. The first question we have to ask, what is acupuncture? How does it work? So acupuncture is one modality of Chinese medicine, which has been around for about 3,000 to 4,000 years. So it's a very ancient medicine. And and very simply, all acupuncture is the insertion of very tiny needles into the body at specific points to then gain an effect. Um, So the way that acupuncture works is based on the system in Chinese medicine that there are channels. You might hear them as being called meridians, but people like to call them channels because there's actually substance flowing through them. Um, And along those channels are specific points that have been discovered over these thousands of years, and we can utilize them for the benefit of the person that we're treating. For context, for any of our listeners who haven't tried acupuncture before, um, I came to it first because I heard that it helped with digestion. And back in my days when I was really struggling with anxiousness, I felt like a lot of stuckness and and I feel like I had slow digestion. And so I thought that I would try it, although I have to say I had a healthy fear of those needles, not knowing what to expect. But my first experience was, you know, that battle that I have and maybe we all have between our inner mystic and our inner pessimistic mm-hmm. was was silenced because when that first small, small, small needle went in, at a point between my eyebrows, I felt a sensation that I can't deny. I, I, And I had no expectation, but I felt this complete calming sensation wash over my entire body. It was if I was really deep in meditation all of a sudden. And so I, I just couldn't deny that. And then the points that were inserted that were thought to get digestion moving, I mean, I could hear and I could feel movement. So I can't deny it. And it's been, it's become one of the most important parts of the way that I take care of myself is going for, for regular acupuncture. So I wanted to share that with you and our listeners. And I know Amy has her experience to share too. I do. My experience with acupuncture really starts with my daughter. She was experiencing really debilitating symptoms of endometriosis. 
and we had tried all different kinds of medications and birth control, various different kinds of birth control, and even surgical procedures. And her physician said, well, as a last ditch effort, we're going to put her into chemical menopause. And she was 22. And at that point, I got some clarity and some sense and said, okay, we're done. And let's take a pause and take a step back. And there has to be something else afforded to her in the world that could give her some relief. And I said, well, let's just try acupuncture. I've heard that, you know, it, it works. And she had been told that she would always have endometriosis, that she would always be infertile, that she would probably end up with a hysterectomy by the time she was in her late twenties. And so she went to a traditional Chinese medicine physician, and he treated her with acupuncture as well as some herbs. And we were just seeking relief of her symptoms. And lo and behold, eight weeks later, she calls me, mom, she's like, I think I'm pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) And she was. And We have Calvin now, who is just the joy of our life. He's just turned six years old. But it not only reversed her debilitating endometriosis symptoms, but it, along with some other help, created Calvin. And she had been told she would never be able to carry a child ever, and that that was just her lot in life. So that was the first experience I had that acupuncture could be very powerful in somebody's life. So then I sought acupuncture for myself. I was at a point in my life that I was exhausted and suffering from burnout. And I heard that acupuncture could help maybe balance the body. And I was also at a point in my life where I wanted to remove alcohol from my life. And I heard that acupuncture had tremendous benefits for addiction. And it did. It it really changed my life. And now I view acupuncture as as part of my maintenance program. Oh, that's so wonderful. That makes me incredibly happy to hear when people, well, most people have positive experiences, but they seem to be um, subdued in the media. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's so wonderful to share. Everyone has these little nuggets of like their healing journey. And um, I just, yeah, I feel so grateful to to be able to use this medicine in this way, especially the story with your daughter and how someone was attempting to take away her hope. And I feel like it's, we don't, we don't know as much as we think we know for our whole lives. And acupuncture fills this void of, well, let's try and see what happens because we can look at the body from this different angle and we can always try something It doesn't matter what somebody comes in to see me with, even if I haven't heard of it before, if I didn't study that in specificity, I'm able to use my tools to look at the body and then have an approach. And that is very liberating. And so non-invasive and, but powerful. She had had all these invasive, very traumatic procedures and very hardcore medications and hormones that had really no or worsening effect. But I was just blown away by how non-invasive it was, but yet how powerful the results were. Yeah, it's re- it's really exciting. It's such it's so fun and it's so 
it's so amazing to have a win-win situation. Like I love that I can make somebody better and someone can feel better without having a negative. Mm-hmm. They leave, they leave feeling relaxed. Like that's the, that's the, that's the side effect. It's wonderful. <laughs> well, and you mentioned already that you share the tools that you have. And one of my favorite things about going to see you as an acupuncturist and what sets you apart in my mind is that not only am I receiving this, this beautiful session, but you always come with different skills and tools from different modalities that you've learned along the way and that you've embraced. So I feel like I have this full holistic like coaching therapy experience when I come to you. It's it's very, very inspiring. So I want to ask you a little bit about that and then how acupuncture has helped you and how you got into it in the first place. Well, as far as um, the approach that I take, it's, it's a little bit of a, a whirlwind that has taken me with it. I, I, I think I just follow uh, what I love and I can't help but share it with people. So if I find something exciting in the world, I end up sharing it with my patients and it's taken on a life of its own and it's made me um, connect with them in a deeper way. So I think some people come in and that we get a little bit deeper than they're expecting, but it's too, it's too incredible to, to not share some of these things, these, these beautiful practices I come across. And as far as how I got into acupuncture, um, I was living in the UK at the time and I was a spin instructor and a fitness instructor. And I was having a lot of fun doing that, but I was working out a lot and I was being very, very, very careful with my diet. And um, I missed a period for the first time in my life and it freaked me out. (laughs) I don't know how long I went without having it, but it was extremely stressful for me. And so I thought, like, what what can I do about this? And so I went to go see an acupuncturist in in Oxford in the UK. And and then next morning after my first treatment, I had my period. It just came. And I was like, what? (laughs) I've just spent like two, two months freaking out about this. And it just was that easy. And it was that you know, it wasn't this dramatic thing. I have a little bit of a needle phobia or I did. And so it was really comfortable. I felt really relaxed after. And then I woke up and my problem was solved. It was like magic. (laughs) And so I I read into it and I, this acupuncturist really loved me. He gave me some books to read because I was like, how can I learn this? And, um, and I just absorbed it. You know, when you really love something and it just sticks to you, And so it absorbed really easily. And then I had to move back to Canada because my visa was expiring. And I looked up schools and I found a school in Vancouver and I just said, yeah, this feels this feels good. And so I I went for it. I know that when it comes to acupuncture, you're dealing with energies that you would refer to as yin and yang. Can you give us a little bit more background on that, what that means and how we how we experience yin and yang in the world around us and and within us? Yeah, absolutely. So the concept of yin and yang is the basis of of all of Chinese medicine, but honestly, it's the basis of everything. (laughs) It is um, these opposing uh, energies. And not only are they opposing, they are also interdependent 
So they need each other and they transform into each other and you can't have one without the other. And anything can be yin in nature and also yang in nature. So examples in the world around us is daytime is yang and it's anything full of action, life, direction, this outward moving energy um, is a yang type um, situation. And yin is slower, nighttime, dark, cooling, the opposite. And so even though they uh, oppose each other, they need each other. There is no night without day. There is no hot without cold. And we take those concepts and bring them into the body. And when there is too much yin, too much yang, a lack of yin or a lack of yang, we treat that um, in order to bring balance and then that will result in the healing of symptoms. Can you also describe for our listeners what vitality might be from a traditional Chinese medicine lens? Vitality from Chinese medicine would be balance. And it would also involve this type of radiant qi. And qi is energy or life force, or for you guys, for yogis, prana is very Mm -hmm. similar. And anybody with chi that is taken care of and intentional and good energy will experience that vitality. But I do think there's an intentionality about chi that means that it's not just energy floating around. It's specific. It's an, it's intelligent. We want to dive a little bit more deeply into this idea of vitality. Amy and I are very interested in that at this time in our lives, but also at this time of year as we have less hours of daylight, as people are busy, a chief complaint that we hear, and I wonder if you do too, is is fatigue and chronic fatigue and people feeling stuck and depleted. Um, can you say more about cultivating vitality and how you see vitality as we get into the colder months? Yeah, so it's a very interesting thing for me um, because I, I, I think that as people... Um, who are invested in their health and in their life, people who seek out to improve, there's this feeling of always reaching for more and reaching for better and to feel the best possible. And I love that. I adore that. It's what drives me. It's always what has motivated me. But as the years change and the seasons come and go, I, I have begun to appreciate the mode of where I'm at rather of the mode of where I want to be and to really accept the moment and to play within the parameters of my constitution. So the way that I naturally am with what I was given at birth and and with where I'm at in the season and take that in the direction I want to go, but never force myself to get there. So I think sometimes after we come out of summertime, which is this very young time where we're having a lot of interaction, the days are hot and beautiful and we're doing a lot of activities and there's somewhat of this downer as we get pulled into fall, but to not see that as a failure and to see it as a natural and necessary transition. I think resistance is really what creates the most problem for people is this resisting of what naturally is and trying to become different than you naturally would be. We should play with where we're at and then go from there. 
So it's like the resistance in itself is depleting. Absolutely. If you're sitting on the couch, this is my this is my very simple example, and you're not doing anything and you're not motivated and you're feeling down and you're feeling guilty because you're just sitting on the couch and you're not made motivated and there's this cycle, then not only are you not doing something, you're you're wasting that moment. You lose it. You're not present. You're only thinking of what you want to be doing. But then there's those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, this couch feels so good. And I'm just like allowing myself to enjoy this TV show or this whatever I'm doing, or I'm allowing myself to fall asleep. Those are you acting the exact same way, but how you approach it with resistance or acceptance can create a tumultuous day or a beautiful day. Mm. I love that. I love the permission and the the lens that you just described. What is here and now could be one or the other. It doesn't have to be this negative thing. I just love how you describe that. Mm -hmm. And the taking ownership of the moment. I think mm-hmm. where where I see people either being frustrated with where their health's at or where their careers are at or how people are treating them, to truly take ownership of your decisions is scary and feels like work, but is ultimately the only thing that we can do to live free, to really own where we're at and to say, oh, I'm making the choice to work this hard because I'm supporting my family. I'm making the choice to relax right now because it's what I need rather than I can't, I can't go on anymore. I have to do this. I should do this. We make choices all the time and to own them really takes our power back. And I I do believe that fosters our vitality. The word should. Yeah. (laughs) When I'm listening to you talk about owning the choice to relax, it's the inner voice saying, well, I should do this and I should accomplish this before I can allow myself to relax. What do you have to say about the inner shoulder? <laughs> the inner shoulder. I think the first thing I want to say is that it won't go away. I think so much of meditation and when we were trying to improve our minds, there's a there's a real um, a, a, a real important note that those things probably won't go away forever. We have to always catch ourselves. So even though we have these beautiful practices of, of not being a shudder, <laughs> if the shoulds come up, that's okay. You just acknowledge, oh, right, I don't, I don't want that to own me anymore. Um, and I think all of our shoulds are different. And I do think that they circle around um, society and, and how we are brought up and the values that were instilled upon us when we were growing up. And that's what forms a part of our brains when our younger, when we're younger. And when the shoulds come up, we're just trying to do the best we can as a human being. We're trying to add value in the way that we were taught. We're trying to uh, be essentially good people. So the shoulds might be, I should be working more because we were taught that working and trying hard added value to the world. But that's not necessarily true for you. And so we just have to take a step back and say, is this is this should something that I want to do that I would like to choose to do? Or is it just me trying to survive in this world? 
Amy. (laughs) I, I am loving where this conversation is going. You know, this conversation is coming at such a perfect moment. Amy talks very openly on this podcast about her journey of healing from burnout and the lessons that she learned was just, yeah, working herself into the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, like use Danielle right now, Amy. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm, you're speaking right to the center of my overachieving heart, but, <laughs> but completely burnt to ashes. So thank you for being so open and honest and, and guiding people with this, this inner dialogue that we have with ourselves of what we are supposed to be doing, what we should be doing versus really just embracing the moment. And, and like you said, taking ownership of, of the moment instead of maybe being victim to the moment. So I appreciate everything you're saying. It's, it's speaking to my journey greatly. That's wonderful. What does TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, think about burnout? What does that look like in the body? How can that be treated? Um, Well, it depends exactly how it manifests in someone's body, but where I would uh, take it is connecting to the kidneys and the, the organ kidney in Chinese medicine, which is not necessarily the same as the Western organ kidneys. It's just a translation. So it's more about the adrenal glands, sorry, the adrenal glands um, and this kind of extensive fight or flight reaction that we all (laughs) use too much. Um, And then that attributes to the burnout. So this kidney chi is probably extremely deficient. And then by that point, you're, you're kind of working on fumes um, and you need to you need to nourish that chi back to health by resting, sleeping, and I think doing more things that you love. I love that. Do you find resistance from the clients that come see you when you tell them that they need to rest and do less? I think I see the resistance when they don't comply. <laughs> <laughs> um, everybody gets very lost in their own story, as do I, as nobody is exempt from this. So it's always interesting for me to listen to people and see how deeply entrenched they are in their story. Um, And if they're creating constant excuses to stop themselves from getting better because not getting better is serving their story. So... Mm when getting better is serving someone, then, then they won't resist. They know that change needs to come. But when someone wants a quick fix, yeah, they'll probably resist. And what would they be without that identity of their ailment or their, you know, what they're suffering from? Yeah, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. It's how you, it's how a lot of relationships are built is Mm. complaining together. It's how we don't feel like we are being um, too much in the world, that we're not bragging, that we're humble. You know, I feel like this will change from country to country, but I'm a a very Canadian (laughs) person and I've, you know, had to deal with this in myself of it's hard to succeed in front of others. It feels embarrassing. 
um, what happens if we feel really good all the time? Are we going to lose people around us? Are we going to be considered arrogant? Um, so sometimes it doesn't feel worth it. And that's, I think, where the healing crisis comes in, where people start getting a little bit better and something stops them. And it might be this fear of losing whatever identity they have built. That's so interesting that you brought up, you know, from a from a cultural aspect, because I'm in the States and we are very arrogant and verbose and mm. achieving. And, and yet we still also identify with our ailments as well. Oh, for sure. And busyness. I think that it, oh, I think yeah. that just perpetuates the world over is this idea of you're doing a good job because you're busy. <laughs> that, totally. You know, you're working hard enough because you're exhausted. Um, you, I don't have any spare time to do that. How do you have time to do that? You know, that's, I think that plagues us all. <laughs> Absolutely. It's epidemic. I'm having such an insight here. I'm sitting with this idea of when you feel better and you have less to complain about, in some relationships, there would be less to talk about. And Mm -hmm. you're right. Relationships have functioned the same way for a long time. And it may not be comfortable for both parties if one person is is really like, um, I feel good and I'm, <laughs> and I'm seeing life through a pretty good lens. And, you know, life gets real from time to time, but I'm still grateful. You know, th- those are maybe not the conversations that that we're having as much. But to be able to encourage each other to have conversations like that so that we were celebrating when somebody else felt good. I'm really thinking about this because do we naturally celebrate when somebody posts that their life is wonderful or when somebody says, oh my gosh, life is wonderful. Like in every area of my life, I just feel like I'm thriving. Would we really celebrate that? Yeah, it's, it is really interesting to think about or is our gut reaction, um, oh, it's so easy for them. Oh, they, you know, they grew up with money or they have this connection or they're, you know, thin and beautiful or whatever it is, whatever our junk is that comes up and and takes away that positivity because, you know, it's that, it's that balancing act again. Is someone doing well, meaning that we're not doing well, or are we able to kind of hold, hold our radiance, our vitality with another what I'm loving too about this conversation is the acceptance of feeling as we're feeling right now. Because going into this conversation, yeah, I think I have lots of questions around how do we feel better? How do we feel more vibrant, even when it's colder and darker? And I love that your answer is, well, what are you comparing yourself to? What if you were more accepting of the way you feel right now rather than always having to change it and always having to strive for better and more. I love that. And that's such a good, 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 good reminder. But when people are actually struggling with, say, depression, low energy, fatigue in in the fall and in the winter, of course, we want to address it and help them feel as best as they can feel. Uh, Some things that I recommend very obviously is eating well and eating for the seasons. Uh So eating warm cooked foods is 
a definite, an absolute must. Like put away the salads, everybody, please. And the smoothies, the cold smoothies, it is not the time for it. It's very difficult for digestion and our bodies are struggling to keep the warmth. So we want to keep supporting ourselves by warmed, warm and cooked foods. Um, also getting outside as much as you can so you can get the daylight is very helpful for our brains, our serotonin, so that we can feel happier. If that's not possible where you live, say in Vancouver, it's very dark, then having something like a, a sad lamp, like a seasonal affective disorder lamp can, can be very helpful in lifting someone's spirits and energy. Uh, also the classic supplements, vitamin D wonderful we need we need to take that i think they even did studies on people in hawaii and they were deficient in vitamin d it's 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 remarkable i think we do need that you know through our food as well if we can and um and yeah to do more things that you enjoy i think social socializing in you know in scandinavia they have all these beautiful concepts of you know really loving the dark periods because they really they put beautiful lights and candles in their homes and have wonderful conversations with friends and enjoy, you know, reading and the warm drinks and celebrating that mode rather than feeling like, ugh, it's just dark out, I think will make it more enjoyable. Amy, there's so many things that Danielle is talking about from a TCM point of view that is reminiscent of Ayurveda. Oh, I know. When she is saying, put the smoothies away and maybe not salads, but enjoying the warm soups and stews. It's just speaking to my Ayurveda heart. It's so interesting that so much of TCM and Ayurveda are so similar that they thousands of years ago had this wisdom and they just grew up in different parts of the world. I just find it fascinating. It's really exciting for me to speak with um, Ayurvedic practitioners and a lot of my patients who are very interested in Ayurveda and get a sense of what the similarities are. And I really, I don't know if this is perfect, but I've kind of broken down the doshas into Chinese medicine patterns. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so when people come to me and they're like, well, I'm so vata, then I'm like, oh, okay, well, you've got a little bit of like yin deficiency and some empty heat. And I don't know if that's correct, but it seems to be seems to be working for me. It's it's fun to compare the two. Yeah, it sounds spot on that that somebody who would come to you would say that, and you would know immediately a sense of what they need. It because mm -hmm. you're identifying those deficiencies or those imbalances in the body. They're just they're just such good sisters to each other, almost like twins that were separated at birth. And speaking of vata, because you brought up the vata dosha, we talk a lot about the doshas and it's vata season right now. And oftentimes that can show up in us as feeling anxious and an anxious mind. So that's my history. And from your perspective, from the TCM perspective, what what is a panic attack all about from a TCM perspective? And how might we build ourselves back up after all of that energy is used because of fear? Yeah, that's really interesting. I've actually never been asked that or thought of a panic attack in that way because we break down everyone's experience into what they're feeling. So a panic attack can be a variety of symptoms, but maybe for one person, 
they are getting, you know, the extreme palpitations and, and, and chest oppression, something like that. And so thinking of that, then we're thinking of um, the heart in TCM and there being either a heart stagnation, like a blood or chi stagnation or chi deficiency. Or if there's tingling down the arms, for example, you know, tingling and numbness would more equate to a blood deficiency. Or if there's uh, pain in certain parts of the body, then we can attribute it to different organs. So it's a it's difficult to say exactly what pattern it would be because it looks so different in every person. Wow, that was also very educational. I've never had an acupuncturist tell me those things before because I had both of those when I was having real chronic panic attacks. It was heart palpitations and tingling down arms and legs. And I was anemic, it turns out, at the time. So interesting. Mm. Yeah, well, the blood would be all rushing. It Like you're, you're going to protect yourself. So the blood is going to go to the organs and then drain out from the limbs, you know, sometimes. And that feeling is terrifying. It's fear. Oh. It's what that. Fe- it's what that is. Is fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, h- what do you say to people who come to you and they hear these words like, "Well, you know, this organ is deficient," and and it can feel scary. I, I've had clients come to me and say, "I went to an acupuncturist, and apparently, I'm deficient in this," and 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 they feel, um, yeah, they feel afraid of those words. How do you describe it to make people understand? Well, it's funny that you say that because that is actually a, f- a fear that someone will leave <laughs> me th- being afraid of something they shouldn't be afraid of. I always uh, preface everything I say to people with this is a translation into English. So I might say the word heart. I might say liver or spleen or these different organs. And a word like deficiency is so loaded, but it's not it's not the heart that we know. There's nothing wrong with your physical heart. It's this the energetics of it. And, and Chinese medicine has got this thing where things start surfacing and moving and you can see symptoms much before the physical manifestation of that problem. So somebody, you know, 20 years old that has some kind of heart chi deficiency, like it doesn't mean anything about their heart health, but if it does, it could mean, you know, potentially a heart disease when they're 70, but we could, we could catch it early. We could start rectifying it earlier on. So I do say that the translation isn't always correct. So never jump to conclusions. And if anything does scare you, then always ask to clarify, like, what, what are you talking about? What does this mean for me? Um, and and that these these deficiencies or excesses are not um, they're not necessarily a problem. They're just they're just a warning sign. We're just going to tweak tweak things to make you feel better. But it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong. We're just going to get you a bit more into balance so that more things are right. What does a maintenance program look like for somebody if you've corrected imbalances and? people are feeling neutral or they're beginning to tap into that vitality or like we say in Ayurveda, that ojas, what, what would it look like then beyond that for them? So at the heart of it, Chinese medicine should be used as a preventative medicine. So maintenance type visits are amazing. It, it is you consistently taking care of yourself so that a problem doesn't arise. And so how we would view maintenance visits when you come in, I mean, if you're somebody that I've treated before, I'll always have a background of what we were 
doing and potentially reinforcing that, but more so taking a look at where you're at and where your potential pattern might be coming out of balance and trying to bring it back into balance. And the next time you come in, maybe it's a little bit different. And so we change it a little bit. Then we're always meeting the person where they're at. Hmm. And does that change with the seasons? Yeah. Yeah, it does. There's some people that there's some practitioners that are incredible and can really feel the shift of chi and the the level of chi sitting on our body when when in summertime our chi is very on the surface. And so when we're doing one of our diagnostic methods of pulse taking, the pulse is higher. The pulse mm-hmm. is higher up in the body. We can feel it more easily. And then as we get into winter, it sinks down lower. So we we do expect the energy to kind of expand and contract with the seasons. And so in the summer, if somebody's pulse was very, very deep, we're, we're thinking, oh, wow, maybe, you know, this is a very kind of deficient problem or this person is feeling quite weak and, and needs to be replenished. But in winter, it wouldn't be as alarming. We've been talking about the seasons when it comes to our outer world. And what about our seasons of life? You know, Amy and I are in our later 40s. And we've shared before our where we are in perimenopause and many menopause. It's a very real challenge that so many women face where they feel a lack of vitality going through this process. How can acupuncture support us? What do you have to say about you know moving into our winter? Yeah, winter or your spring, probably, yeah. or your fall, rather. So acupuncture is and Chinese medicine is an amazing tool for women in general. Menopause, perimenopause, and then menopause is, a whim, is women experiencing a lack of yin, is yin decreasing. And yin is cooling, moisturizing, it is dense, it is grounding, and it is what anchors yang energy. And so when women are going through menopause and experiencing, for example, hot flashes, it's not like there's suddenly an increase of heat. It is that there is no cooling to anchor that heat. It's like the air conditioning is broken. It's not hotter outside. It's just that we're not able to regulate our temperature as well. And so we need to nourish this yin energy and how we can do that is through acupuncture, but but mostly herbs and food are, are very important to, to nourish the yin, to nourish the blood, to help balance out that, um, that, excess, that excess heat. And that might also come out as irritability um, or anger or, you know, excessive emotion. And that's also that yin not anchoring those yang emotions so that they can kind of become out of control. Do you find rest as well can help soothe their symptoms? Absolutely, because rest is going to facilitate yin. Rest is going to nurture and nourish yin. And that's exactly what you need. And that's exactly what we don't need to deplete at that time. Mm. You know, lots of mental and physical work will deplete yin. So rest will definitely be um, ideal. Mm-hmm. And if this is about balancing excess heat, not having that cooling anchor for excess heat, what are we thinking about when it comes to balancing with food? I know that everybody's a little bit different. Well, especially um, for women in menopause, not wanting to aggravate yourself with foods that are too hot 
or or stimulating. So that would be alcohol. Uh, all alcohol has hot property, but a, you know, especially wine and spirits are very hot. Beer is hot, but it's also very damp. Um, those are dampness is just another quality of Chinese medicine, um, another pattern. And spicy food. Spicy food is drying, heating, um, and processed food as well. Basically, a lot of things that would cause inflammation are probably hot type foods. For someone who's struggling with perimenopause symptoms, what would you recommend that they do eat? Uh, well, that depends on on how they're presenting as well. Mm. Like it's, it's hard to give kind of blanket answers without knowing the specific person. Mm-hmm. But always sticking with neutral type foods is a safe mm-hmm. bet. So things that, once again, aren't super spicy, but not raw cold salads either. Just cooked real foods um, are your best bet. What about before and after an acupuncture session? I've always wondered about this. Sometimes I I have sensations after acupuncture. I, sometimes I feel wonderful, but sometimes I feel very tired. Mm. Um, I, I feel a lack of energy. Sometimes I feel a little bit lightheaded. Um, what, what, do you, what do you suggest that somebody do in the hours following their treatment? Well, I definitely like when people don't have big plans after treatment. (laughs) Sometimes they're like, I'm going to this event. And I'm like, oh, okay, (laughs) let's see how this goes. Um, But yeah, definitely resting and checking in with yourself. Like if it was a perfect world, I'd say, you know, go take a nap and journal and meditate and (laughs) connect with yourself. But um, for, for kind of the real world where people are at, I think nothing that's too mentally and physically consuming would be great. So just you know, being at home, doing what you need to do, definitely staying hydrated. Um, And if you are receiving treatments like cupping or gua sha, which is, um, you know, more of that body type work, then also like old Chinese books and um, different manuals say to avoid showering or getting, getting too cold afterwards. Now, because you are a practitioner who is bringing so much more than an acupuncture session because you're often offering different tools and skills and lifestyle inspirations and concepts. Do you find that at different times of year, you, you tend to be giving similar advice? Is there something different for every single person? Do you find a wave of of similar conditions coming on? I do. I always think that's fun. I love connecting the dots. I probably get too excited about it, (laughs) but I definitely see similar things coming on. Um, You know, there's obvious things, especially like cold and flu season where you're going to get people coming in that are sick. Um, But then there's like really interesting stuff in, in the springtime where, you know, people are just feeling that little bit of like agitation um, or Thing, like energy starting to come out from the winter and like with that's very exciting but also there might be some like skin irritation or sensitivities or yeah there's there's a whole host of things but I do notice patterns among people and if you were to give if somebody just was feeling 
you've talked a little bit about fatigue and this time of year, but if you were going to give some of your favorite additional tools other than an acupuncture session to somebody who just wanted to have a little bit more energy as we move closer to winter, what would be some of the top tips that you would give them? Try to be consistent with your kind of morning and nighttime routine of when you're going to sleep and when you're getting up. Mm -hmm. Um, That can be very helpful. We sometimes will really have that urge to press the snooze button because it's so dark outside and we've got to get up for work. But if you can get up a little bit earlier and not be rushed in the morning and have some time to, you know, to make your routine, whatever that is, if it's working out, if it's meditating, if it's cooking yourself a beautiful breakfast, or if it's setting out a plan for the day, having space and time will foster better energy than being rushed. That's one kind of unusual thing I would recommend. Um, And also caffeine, over, over consumption of caffeine can seem like you know, it's doing a really good job for us and we're feeling like excited and stimulated, but it's going to have the reverse effect. We're going to have a crutch if we use too much caffeine. So definitely being disciplined and not reaching for that cup of coffee every time you feel a little tired will help you with your energy overall. I like these real world insights and inspirations. And I can speak to that. My favorite thing is getting up at least an hour before my family so that I have time for the things that I want to do. And if I do decide to sleep in, you're right, I I don't feel as good as making that extra time, even though I might have been getting up earlier. Mm-hmm. It feels um, like, like it wouldn't be that way. It feels um, like a contradiction. Contra- contradiction. (laughs) It feels like a contradiction. Do you do anything specifically to ready yourself before you're with people and touching people all day long? Is there any, any specific rituals you have? I think my ritual of what I do is just how I created the nature of my business. I chose to practice on my own so I could have complete control over my schedule. And what that means for me is that I have a lot of time with each person and I have adequate time in between. If I was jumping around from person to person to person, I, the, just who I am as, a, as an individual, I would be depleted very quickly. I need that space in between. I need that time to kind of come back to myself before jumping in with someone else. I can really speak to that. I have never felt rushed when I come and visit you. And I think I must be trained because afterwards I sit down and you come in and we talk a little bit and I always think, oh, I should go. But you you have never made me feel like, well, I, I better get out there. You're very present with me. And that's when you're giving me all the richness of these other practices. So I can't say enough about my experience with you. And I thank you for sharing everything that you've shared with us during this time. Oh, thank you so much. And that's really nice of you to say that really is, that really means a lot. Yeah. Thank you so much, Danielle. And I love how all these practices that you've shared, not just with acupuncture, but with the lifestyle practices as well, they're so accessible to everyone. They're low or no cost. And that's what people need. They need real practical practices that that they can begin to reach for immediately. So thank you for sharing all the different tips, not just about acupuncture, but about bedtimes and routines and foods. 
it's just been a very rich depth of conversation. So I appreciate that. Oh, thank you, Amy. And how can people find you? You're obviously based here in Vancouver. Um, yeah, tell people a little bit about how they can find you and what you can assist with. So my practice is called Totality Acupuncture, and I practice in Kitsilano in Vancouver, www.totalityacupuncture.com. And things that I can assist with are a variety of conditions, any type of pain, any type of digestive complaint, headaches, any um women's issues, whether that be fertility or treating painful menstruation or skin conditions, um, and also anybody that just wants to feel a little bit more whole and a little bit more balanced. I, I want people to feel happy. And so if that's something you're interested in, that's something I like to talk about. <laughs> Who doesn't want to feel happy? And be able to tell our friends about how happy we are. <laughs> right. And not want to keep it inside. Yeah. Yeah. We got to learn to celebrate that. Well, thanks so much again, Danielle. Um, have a, a beautiful rest of your late fall. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior podcast. If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it. And please check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.